Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey through the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. Already awkward. We've succeeded in meeting each other. Yeah. How are you? I am. Who are you? Should we do who yeah, before how? Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm Allison. It's nice to meet you. It's nice I've to met meet you too. before. Yeah. But in this context, in episode five, this is a first. Yeah, us. it was the first time we've met in yeah. episode five. Episode four was reasonable. It was reasonable. For our relationship. Yeah. Um, fair warning to listeners if you hear any background noise of like panting or. Pause. Um, <laughs> Panting or pause? I think very specific. There's a dog in the There's studio. There's a dog in the studio. Um. <laughs> his name is Cooper and he's very handsome. Um, so, you know, we'll see what his take on today's book is. <laughs> he's just making himself at home under the, the table, which is We're very We're going to have sweet. a different animal for each episode from now on. Oh, great. <laughs> I'd like a parakeet. Yes. Our guest has brought his familiar. <laughs> um, it's going to be so good. Um, bring a friend. Yeah, bring bring a friend. <laughs> bring your pet to podcast day. I can't bring my pet to podcast because you're allergic and one of them's on the roof. Yeah. Well, he's down on the roof now. But no no cats, dramatic. please, unfortunately. Um, so I think we should uh, dive right, right in. I think by episode five, people know what this podcast is about. Yeah, it's about books. It's about books. <laughs> um, if you haven't picked up on that, like, yeah. what are you people Check back, episode about? one. <laughs> we like to read. Uh, he sneezes. Bless now. you, Cooper. You're a good boy. Oh, gosh, you're <laughs> that so was very cute. sweet. You're so cute. Uh, we'll post a picture on the Instagram. <laughs> Visual so things are happening right now that you people can't see, but yeah. we can see them with our eyes and tell it's you with dog. our mouths. He's uh, about medium height, uh, brown hair, brown eyes. This is a new height for me in dog world as well. Yeah, much taller than my dog. Yeah, like triple the size. Uh, he's yeah. basically a horse. I mean, he's not in dog standards. No, okay. I mean, I haven't seen a horse bigger. in a long time either. So <laughs> if I met a horse, I'd be like, you're such a dog. Would you? No. Didn't think so. Okay. All right. Um, so let's dive into... Episode five. Episode five. Angela Carter. Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber. A much wanted book to discuss this one. Apparently, yeah. Lots of lots of people wanted this one, say. So. Uh, and I'm so excited because I had never read it. So let let me be surprisingly. As we all know, I haven't read anything. <laughs> so this is what this podcast is for. It's to make me a smarter, uh, more well-read, well-rounded individual. Um, so Angela Carter. Um, I have stolen bits of this bio from the British Library site uh, and some sort of British culture site. So it's going to make me sound smart as well. But Angela Carter was born Angela Olive Stalker in 1940 in Eastbourne, Sussex. Her work draws on an eclectic range of themes and influences from Gothic fantasy, traditional fairy tales, Shakespeare and music hall, through surrealism and the cinema of Godard and Fellini. Carter's work breaks many long-established taboos and mores, not least in her forthright regaling of women as central to and in control of their own narratives. Her perfectly crafted stories are often provocative and subversive, and many contain graphic and violent content. Sold. Uh, her first novel, Shadow Dance, was published in 1965. Her second novel, The Magic Toy Shop, in 1967, won the Mail on Sunday John Lewin Reese Prize. And her third, Several Perceptions, 1968, won a Somerset Maughan Award. 
Heroes and Villains was published in 1969, followed by Love, 1971, The Infernal Desire Machines of Dr. Hoffman, 1972, and The Passion of New Eve, 1977. I'm just reading her entire bibliography now. Knights at the Circus, 1985, won the James Tate Black Memorial Prize for Fiction, and Wise Children, her last novel, was published in 1991. Angela Carter also published four collections of stories, Fireworks, 1974, The Bloody Chamber, 1979, which we'll be discussing today, winner of the, oh God, winner of the Cheltenham Prize, Black Venus, 1985, and American Ghosts and Old World Wonders, 1993, which was published posthumously as she died in 1992. I didn't know that. Yeah. Also, Long shout out to the cinema of Goddard and Fellini because that stuff is so good. Haven't seen it. Just, just saying. So, The Bloody Chamber, or The Bloody Chamber and Short Stories, is a collection of short fiction which was first published, as she said, in 1979. Um, it is said that the stories are closely based on traditional fairy tales and folk stories. Um, however, um, Angela Carter herself says that these are not um, retellings of stories. Um, and to quote, she says, her intention was not to do versions or, as the American edition of the book said horribly, adult fairy tales, but to extract the latent content from the traditional stories and to use it as the beginning of new stories. Um, which is the exact opposite of what it says on the back of my book, which says, here are some retellings of some fairy tales. <laughs> so um, don't always trust the blurb, is what we've learned from that. Uh, the anthology contains 10 stories, the longest of the collection, and the collection's title being The Bloody Chamber. Each story explores many of the themes of traditional folk tales, such as Beauty and the Beast, Little Red Riding Hood, Puss in Boots, and Snow White. The Bloody Chamber is often treated as a collection of short stories combining to explore a greater narrative which deals with issues of feminism and metamorphosis rather than merely as a set of individual tales. As the distinct separate characters of each story blend together to explore the overarching themes of female oppression and liberation. It's also super macabre and very dark. Yes, which is why I loved it ever so much. Um, And without further ado, I shall introduce our non-dog guest today. Um... Callum is a freelance writer hailing from the leafy suburb of Welland Garden City, which was once home to George Bernard Shaw. He has written several articles for magazines on subjects ranging from fashion to the environment, manufacturing, and renewable energy industries. Currently living in London, Callum has worked as a children's literature editor for Bloomsbury and as an author for hire for nonprofit organizations, including Think Equal and Reboot the Future. In his free time, Callum likes to travel, having recently explored Southeast Asia, read extensively, us too, pay visits to the theaters of the West End, and spend time with animals, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) He's set to begin studying English literature at Cambridge University as a mature student in October. Very excited about this. His first published book, The Little Fisherman and the Golden Rule, is a children's book set in Borneo, which looks at the life of a blind boy who uses his other senses to communicate with the flora and fauna of the coast and rainforests to find his grandfather who's lost in a tropical storm. The book is published by Reboot the Future as a joint venture with with Think Equal. It's currently in the production stage and is expected to be published later this year. Welcome, Callum. Good afternoon. (laughs) Good afternoon. Lovely to meet you both. Well, we've met. Yes, we have met. Yes. Yes, I sort of sit your dog on occasion. Yes. Not Cooper. Not Cooper. Callum and I met through the app Borrow My Doggy, um, where he, you were like the best person that's ever asked to sit my dog because you use Bowie quotes in it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, take my dog whenever you want. <laughs> so he's uh, he's now Bowie's, one of Bowie's 
uncles. Yeah. One of Murray's uncles. I thought I was well, the I mean, uncle. I have okay. two male flatmates. Okay, fair enough. And a previous male flatmate. I would allow. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. God, we hit our denouement really early there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just some lit- literary yeah. humour for you there. <laughs> we'll get it in early. Thanks. Um, I've been waiting for a yeah, moment to do that. that I feel like I finally achieved it. Fantastic. We can probably end now. And yeah, the podcast episode. Yeah. Thanks for coming. I, I feel like that summary just. Well, as summaries do, summed up everything. Yeah. 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 That's Angela Carter. This is the yeah. end. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Pick up the book. Um, <laughs> um, I think we should ask Callum some questions. Yeah. Let's grill him. Okay, so, grill me. Tell us about reading, writing. Did you always want to be a writer is a question that's not on our list, but I'm going to ask you because it came up lots in your introduction. Um, I actually wanted to be a vet in year nine <laughs> until that my teacher dog. said that I... I'm not good at science and thus crushed my dream. So oh, wow. as a result, I sort of found love for English in, um, English literature and in particular books and literature related to animals. So I get my sort of zoological fix that way um, and sort of writing, I guess, presented itself as, uh, I guess, a talent of mine. And I decided to sort of pursue it because I love being creative and I think that it's really important for everyone to have a sort of outlet like that to you know not repress things and to just freedom to have freedom of speech and all that all that good stuff yeah, yeah. oppression is bad it is bad it is bad when I go As up I want to be a dixie chick <laughs> just whilst we're doing youthful ambition <laughs> I'll get there one day that, that's what you wanted to be yeah. when you grew up no that's what I want to be specifically a dixie chick I want, I want to be I would like to be a dixie chick when I grow up still <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like one day I'll get there alright Natalie Maines if you're out there listening and you need a fourth yeah I'm taking the long way around <laughs> back to Callum <laughs> um, so is it is it specifically children's books that you write or want to write or have you dabbled in in various forms of literature um, not necessarily, actually. The sort of children's book route um, presented itself from a meetup on, on Grinder, believe what? it or not. Of all that the places. That is a brilliant introduction to how I got to children's <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you have there to. Again. Not one of those meetups. Please, can you write a book which begins with that sentence? Because <laughs> <laughs> I would read that. Um, yes, I meant to be Also, I love the. Book. <laughs> not only are you starting this reason for getting into children's literature with that sentence but you've also bought a dog that bites children so <laughs> yeah. this is all wonderful only twice <laughs> it wasn't my fault I promise uh, <laughs> so tell us about this grinder meetup um, so it just it started off as a, a date and then maybe through, through talking and conversing we realised that we were sort of wanting well he was in a an industry which published um, children's books and sort of allowed those ventures to occur I guess and I just said that I was sort of an aspiring writer and so I sent him some of my drafts of things that I've written you know a few manuscripts which were never you know chil- they were more Angela Carterian or Carterish um, <laughs> in say, nature from, from children's books to Angela Carter that's also an interesting <laughs> well everyone loves a fairy tale true fair enough yeah it's an interesting sort of ambiguous um form isn't it the fairy tale because it's you know very adult in nature and also targeted at children so Mm. it's um i guess that's what fascinated me most about her writing was the way that she sort of plays with those themes of rites of passage and maturation and all all of that good stuff so um yeah I, i wrote a collection of short stories sort of continuing her tradition which 
I guess, extended the feminist tradition and took it into a realm of sort of ecological disaster and environmental exploitation, um, you know, of, you know, a- a- animal abuse and things like that. So I wrote, I guess, reimagined some fairy tales like what she does, but then applied it to more timely contemporary issues not saying that feminism is no longer a oh, <laughs> timely issue its head again, but you know it? and there's that sort of <laughs> it's it, come up a couple yeah, of times yeah. Yeah. it's back <laughs> and it's interesting because there's that sort of that intersectionality between feminism and the in- environment which Angela Carter does um, explore in this work and mm-hmm. it was something that really struck a chord with me and something that I wanted to that's a, that's a tail okay. on a pole, people. I know. He's <laughs> saying that he he's had enough of me talking. <laughs> Shut up. He is not a feminist. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, what was the question? It was about the grinder, wasn't it? How you got children's books. books. Bio, bio grinder. So, um, it was a... It, it never became sort of a romantic engagement. He, um, This guy just um, said that there's an opportunity to write a, a children's book. For the, um, the charity that he he worked for, and I sent him over some of my previous work, and he liked the the themes and thought that it'd be a natural fit for the the charity. So then I just tried to write a children's book, which is you know no e- easy feat. They seem like deceptively simplistic, yeah, but they're know, bloody well not. not. <laughs> <laughs> and it took years, but um, yeah, finally there. So we're all finished now. Mm-hmm. I'd never considered exploring Grindr as a way to publish my work before. They have a networking um, option. You know, people (laughs) think that it's... Yeah, yeah, okay. That's interesting. It's not really Korean, but it's not. Yeah, Bumble has... They have a, like, friend and network. They have a Bumble BFF, and then they have, like, a work one, too, which I've done the BFF one before. I've met people through that. That is interesting. I meet all of my (laughs) friends through various apps. (laughs) I met you through Craigslist. Or not Craigslist. Gumtree. Gumtree? Gumtree. Wasn't it? I don't remember. Oh, uh, some indie join my band talk code. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my YouTuber, my doggy. I've met friends on Bumblebee. It's because all we're doing is sitting at home reading books. We're not actually interacting with people yeah. in the social. Like the I don't know how to make humans. Globalization um, of uh, love of literature and also yeah. yeah. yeah that's yeah, cool. That's a good story. That's a fantastic that's story. A story. And the end. <laughs> <laughs> Keep we're actually done now. <laughs> Yeah, so where, how do you hear about new books or where do you discover what you're going to read next? Is it, I like to go into Wardstones and read the backs of mm-hmm. all of the books on their shelves and then sort of get an idea of a new author and then I'll go home and read about the author to see if I want to read their books. Mm. And then I'll sort of dive in that way. Or if someone hands me something and says, you must read this. But how do you... I mean, I'm going to plug the podcast now because recently I've got the recommendations from... You know, your own words. And I, I, I read <laughs> reading Lolita in Tehran and thought it was brilliant. And, you know, it'd be an, an, a great book to compare to Angela, Angela mm. Carter. Yeah, true. Um, well, that so, makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, We did really. one good thing. Yay, people <laughs> really. are reading. But in sort of, um, sort of usual trends, I guess, is um, I think similar to you, actually, like getting, you know, with sort of isolated people aren't we sort of <laughs> yeah. literati yeah. Um, but occasionally we might venture out into a, water, a local like waterstones or something we like desks, candles and cups of tea uh, yeah. and that's pretty much it um, so I guess I'll do that and you know I, I, I do care about the aesthetic of a cover yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I do yeah. like I, I do judge I a book by a cover and if it um, draws me in I'm gonna I will read the blurb it's yeah. sort of that you know, I, the right I, I passage totally agree leads. I'm yeah. very guilty of that looks good I want to yeah, because I also I know quite a lot of illustrators mm-hmm. and who 
when they're designing a cover or doing illustrations from a book, they get to know that book really, really mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So that old sort of, you can't judge a book by a cover, I've never believed, because I know people that design covers and I know that they actually take mm. time to get to know the book before they design the work for it. So often what's yeah. on the cover relates to what's in the book. Definitely. So I like, exactly like you, if I walk in, I see something that speaks to me yeah. aesthetically. I think, what what is this representing of this novel? Yeah, and I do the same. I Generally, I, I go to charity shops. Um, I'm a big secondhand yeah. book buyer. And that's how I've chosen so many of my most recent like, yeah. favorite finds, like Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. Yeah. That was fully just based on the cover. And, of course, reading the back, it's like, murder, Iceland. <laughs> I was like, of course, <laughs> sign me up. Um, and it had black-edged pages. And so, you yeah. know, my goth heart. As I mentioned, my goth heart all the time now on this podcast. And <laughs> Were you we'll a goth go there today. I was definitely a goth, and so Did I'm really stoked about it. Did you ever listen to Marilyn Manson? Uh, I believe I have mentioned. <laughs> have you read his book? Uh, I have. I have read his book several times. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Like a cover like that, the Essex Serpent. Recently, I see that has a beautiful cover. It's I, very ornate, it. isn't it? Yeah, it's just gorgeous. So anything kind of gothic like that, I I tend to be drawn to. And if the synopsis sounds good enough, I'll usually yeah. pick it up. I will always, you know, pay more for a premium cover. Like if I go yeah. on to eBay or have you oh, books, what word we are, I'll always, you know, pay more just for. Well, and just as to look we at it. were saying recently, when a book Ooh. has been given the <laughs> shush now. You agree, don't you? You agree? <laughs> yes. Judge a book yeah, by no. that cover. I when a book has cover. been given the cover of a film or TV adaptation, mm. I won't buy that book. I won't mm. buy the book. Oh, it no, that's the worst. absolutely <laughs> mad. Yeah. I hate and it. And they never have the matte finish either. It's yeah, always it's a little always bit sheen. Yeah, like a sheen. I hate it. I oh, hate and a the fingerprints. Cover. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, let's not. Yeah. Let's not. I'm feeling yeah. a bit ill. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I also get embarrassed. So sometimes when I bought something secondhand and it's turned up, like, I, I will not read it outside because I get a bit embarrassed that people think that I'm just reading something because I liked right. the film. Yeah, if I buy books on World of Books, which is my favorite thing in the universe. Yeah, do you we know do love books. Books. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the greatest. Amazing. But you don't always get the book in the that picture. You see, yeah. So like yeah. this. <laughs> We're sort of you know um, introducing werewolf sounds yeah. to yeah. add to the yeah. authenticity we, we of the gothic atmosphere. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's not Cooper. It's well not done, Cooper. Being a little, little bastard. No, but it's, it's coming all, from the beyond. So <laughs> <laughs> um, So speaking of covers, I think this ties very well into. Our big debate. Our big Which I'm ongoing winning. debate. Yeah, you're winning. Um, obviously, if you've listened, you've mm-hmm. kind of heard what we're about to ask you, and that is, uh, are you a paperback or a hardback? Or as <laughs> as you could say, plinth. Plinth book. book. Do, you, do you need to take what plinth you to read your book? Uh, <laughs> I f- feel like I'm more on the side of the paperback. God yeah. damn it. Come on. Really? I no, don't I mind a hardback. I'm I not thought like, you were gonna. I thought you were gonna be on the my fence, but guy. I don't know. You know, money is like an object. You know, I do, do like to, you know, get things a little bit cheap, cheaper and be a bit more economical with my choices. But okay. I feel like, um, and often the imagery on the paper. <laughs> is that enough again? Um, <laughs> often the imagery on the paperbacks is a little bit more high class. I don't, I don't know. I don't mm. know. But then I do like. I do have a few. Um, Hardbacks. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm still on on the fence. So I know that's a really disappointing response. But wow. paperback. If I had to, you know, gun to my head, paperback. And and there is one. <laughs> there is. You just There's can't. There's a metaphor. You, can't see, it. you feel, can't see it. <laughs> What's that? Four one. Yeah, it's four one. Okay, cool. It's right. You've so, got time. Yeah. Next. What are your reasons? I feel like you need to just, you know. I I have said it many a time. I um I like the weight of them. Uh-huh. I think they look impressive. Mm-hmm. They just they just make me f- they feel 
<laughs> they feel a bit posher to me. <laughs> they look beautiful on my shelf. I know you hate a dust jacket, but I love a dust jacket. Mm. I just I just really like, they feel important. I guess to me for fiction, I like a paperback, but then I do understand, you know, and I, pref- I guess would say prefer for non-fiction and like autobiographies and things along those lines. A hardback does add a certain, like you a know, uh, yeah, it. yeah. Yeah, that's weighing down my back. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine, four to one. It is the anchor. Hardback lovers out there, come on, apply to be on this podcast. What do you think, Cooper? Paperbacks or or hardbacks? Just tail wags, just tail wags. Yeah, okay. Which would you prefer to chomp? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, surely he's going to get through a paperback quicker than he is a hardback. Yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree. Have a scratch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Now that that's out of the way, um, Callum, why did you choose this book? Why Angela Carter? Why The Bloody Chamber? Um, when, actually, when, when did, did you first, first yeah. discover it? Um, when and did how? Yeah, and how? Um, well, when you were just going through the, the sort of, well, I say summarizing, but going through her long list of accolades and her Im- impact and her influence on the sort of feminist tradition, I sort of feel like I'm. I don't know if I should be here sitting talking about this book, which is so oh, important shit. and means so much to so many people and is um, really important in, you know, the influence that it had in the second wave of feminism. But I just, I don't know, as I said before, it sort of, I guess, tapped into my fascination with fairy tales and how interesting and evocative they are as a, a literary form and how we sort of have that, collective consciousness and understanding of morals and fairy tales and all of that stuff and I think that the idea of reimagining them or as you said to extracting in the latent content of them it's just such an amazing thing and it really like just it was just I just expanded my mind and that's you know what I love about literature is that it can take you to so many different places and um, you know provide you with so many experiences or like perception of experiences that you wouldn't necessarily encounter in your own own life or in your own t- timeline so mm. yeah and the initial question was where did you um you know come to find um bloody chamber and it actually started uh, with um english you know, studying english at a-, at a level it was one of really? the yeah we um we i think for the a2 for the last year we had to study the um the theme of and the form of gothic literature so like wuthering heights and um, Northanger Abbey and what have you and this was one of the chosen sort of modern texts um, so that was my first sort of um, experience with it so I, I lost oh my, my Angela Carter virginity and <laughs> yep it was my I'm not going to say the word or my cunt was like a split fig as she would say <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I said it I'm you sorry said it. she <laughs> does have a way with language she, she does. does it's absolutely amazing It's org- it is orgasmic like when I was re- reading it I mean you know metaphorically speaking, but yeah. it's just like my mind is just, I don't know, it's like a whirlpool of colour uh-huh. and emotion. It's just in- in- incredible. It's breathtaking. It's, yeah, it is breathtaking. Yeah. I, so, just because I'm Canadian, mm-hmm. can you explain to me, A-level, about what age are you? 
1617? Okay. Yeah, so just before we go, it's just like what we have to do. Before university. Before university. Okay, so that's yeah. the like end of your... After, sec- after school. Mm-hmm. For, you know, my mom won't know either, yeah. so North American listeners. <laughs> yeah, 1617. Just need that translation. Just before you go to university is sort of the qualification that you have to have. That's such an interesting age to read something like this. And how old were you when you read it? Because I was... It was I was saying to you when I was rereading it, and I was obviously reading it for this, but I was... When I first read it, I read it at uni in second year of my undergrad so okay. I guess 21 I would have been yeah still quite um, and I was doing feminist literature and representations of violence as feminism um, amazing in literature it was, it was the most insane unit I've ever studied it was so <laughs> much fun um, <laughs> but yeah so I also first came to it as a text to study and look at theory and literature and feminism rather than coming to it as just a, a book to read. Yeah, I didn't um, find it organically either. I was sort of forced to read yeah. it. But then it's interesting how books that you're sort of made to read, um, you know, within study and schooling, how they can sort of, you can, that starts off the relationship mm. with it, which then grows beyond the sort of confines of the institution. And then you sort of grow to love it as your own, yeah. own, yeah, per- exactly. own person, you know. And that's what definitely happened with this, with this book. Wow, yeah. and I had um, I had never read it obviously, so I haven't read anything. Uh, so I just want to say thank you because this is so up my street. It's not even like it is first page. Book. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's like gothic. It's so rich and so yeah. dense and so beautifully written and so dark, mm. yeah. so eerie and spooky. I was just like, this is totally speaking my language, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Um, and I was saying to you today, like, I was surprised I- afterward when kind of doing the research, getting her bio together, all of that, that it's quite a modern book because it, it reads like something quite old. Yeah, and quite I didn't realize. And, yeah. yeah, I didn't realize it was, what, 79. Like, it, it reads yeah. like something. Oh, you definitely picture these sort of old gothic Well, it reminds me a bit of spaces. Daphne du Maurier, yeah. which Absolutely. is the 20s. Like, it, it, it just, it reads so, so old that I, I didn't realize how modern it was. She has this just a beautiful way with language mm. that absolutely captured me. I was literally like sitting here before you arrived, Callum, and I was like finishing up. Uh, what was I reading? Um, the Lady of the House of Love. Yes. And I was literally back was sitting across me, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like sighing and gasping, and it has it, that effect, that orgasmic it's, effect. It's, it's a real, you know. I think as well because it's so she just would like plod along like giving you these little bits of really rich poetic language mm. and then she'll punch you in the face yeah. <laughs> and you're not <laughs> expecting her to punch you in the face and you're also with some of them which are really really short you don't realise how short they are when you start reading it mm. so you, you're sort of bobbing along and you, you realise it's only two pages long and it's just like here's the thing here's the thing the end and it's <laughs> and she just gives you this yeah, absolute punch to the gut, and it it's got that like oh god. It's just the craftsmanship that she has. She's an absolute yeah. genius, yeah. like re- like really. And my some people really don't like him. My boyfriend hates it. I tried to get him yeah. to re- read it. He thinks it's really sort of masturbatory and self indulgent and flowery, and it is. But it that's is. what I love. That's what I love <laughs> about it. <But> that's <laughs> exactly right. That's the nature of gothic literature. That yeah, it's best, isn't it? It's, it's really got that, like, deep, yeah, yeah, it's got that amazing baroque style to it. And she even says there's a quote that I read. 
um, where she's talking about how short stories in their own right are kind of more like writing little baroque pieces mm -hmm. of, or chamber music than writing whole symphonies, mm. which I just, I loved both just as a description of short stories in, in comparison, but also specifically the way that she writes. It does have that really kind of short burst of rich indulgency, and then it's finished. Yeah. Whereas a symphony is sort of like longer, you know, drawn out periods of space uh, and time. Yeah. And, and beauty. And beauty. They're, they're yeah. all so beautiful. It's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. really beautiful. And she just has a way with words. Mm, I mean, does. sort of a lot of authors do, but she does. <laughs> <laughs> she does. This is so this is the first collection that we've done so mm -hmm. I was kind of intrigued to see you know how are we going to go about speaking of this because obviously we're not <laughs> we need to get some furniture not made of metal <laughs> um, but we're not obviously we can't you know sit here and talk about the plot points because I mean we could of each individual story but that's a bit much um, but I'm curious do you have a favorite story from this collection um, is there one that is like you could go back and read it a million times I think, I mean, the bloody chamber itself, the sort of titular story, mm. is just so imp impressive. Mm. And it's the most sort of complete work of the whole, you know, it's really fleshed out. Yeah. So that, but then it takes more time to read it, whereas something like The Snow Child, you can read in about yeah. five, uh, five minutes, <laughs> and it's incredible. And the first time you read it, it's like had, I guess, an effect on me that I'd never quite had in yeah, literature I, before. I agree. You said as well, is there a book, uh, one of the stories that you want to, would focus on? I said The Snow Child for exactly that reason. Because mm. I just remember sitting down to read it and then a page and a half later it's finished and thinking, holy crap, like what was yeah, that? Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's being... rare to have that, you know, Im impact with a, a, something a piece so of literature. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, you're used to, you know, a novel or something taking its time and, uh, you know, building up the intensity and mm. um, towards the, towards the climax but that's just yeah just just punches you straight in in the face <laughs> <laughs> and i love it <laughs> she love turned me into a masochist i love being punched in the face by words <laughs> yeah it's, it's no, my it favorite way so masochistic yeah but it's so good so you both would pick that one i think for exactly like you just said i remember when i was rereading it i i didn't really have to reread that one because i the yeah. first sentence i was like i know i've got it i, yeah. I remember that feeling whereas the bloody chamber took me a little bit longer to and it was sort of slowly like oh and then this happens with the key it was slowly coming back to me but that the snow child i just remember reading it for the first time and being really like what how like <laughs> how what <laughs> i know how and i was like as a, like 16 17 and maybe when i first read it and i've never read anything like that that mm. before oh, you've never read about necrophilia before no as a 16 year old? no not like, a lot of people getting their members out at 16 it's not just <laughs> necrophilia it's members. like pedophilic <laughs> necrophilia yeah. Rape, like it's, it's yeah. like it's, 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 it's all the like things. unholy trinity of yeah. shit. Yeah. In, in one what page. are the worst things that you can come up with, and how much can you condense <laughs> yeah. them? It's like a page and a half. And then there was yeah. something like the bloody chamber is like thirty times longer than that. Is mm -hmm. it? Which is a short, yeah, which is a really interesting comparison when you think about, mm. like you say, like the bloody chamber is more sort of drawn out and and expansive. Mm. And yet, well, she has tiny, a point. She wants to make yeah, it. It's just, and that's really hard to do as a writer mm. to condense something. I know, and that's why and have I sort that of power. contest the 
I mean, people are entitled to their own opinion, of course. Are they? Um, <laughs> are they really? <laughs> but like saying, like her writing's really florid and um, self-indulgent. It is, but then she knows when to, you know, yeah. when's enough. Enough. Yeah. It's like that. It doesn't that, go on and that, on and that on. That is a yeah, what a page page and a half long that that story, mm-hmm. and it's the. I guess the main grotesque act is surrounded in so much beauty and the language is poetic and dense and there's a lot of intertextual allusions and what what have you. But she says it in so few words and it has such a profound impact on on the reader. So it's just, you know, as I said, absolute genius. I think that might have helped me because when I read it, I was still very much in my poetry is everything phase, Uh. Um, which it is (laughs) and should always be. But... I think that because she has such a poetic way of writing and because she manages to condense so much mm. emotion and imagination and like even like feminism and politics and gender and theory into such tiny little nuggets of horrific brilliance mm-hmm. that my very sort of poetic mind was like, I loved it immediately because it really fed into what I loved about poetry mm. and what I loved about you, you know the the expansion of language without mm. having to go on for five hundred exactly. pages, and it sort of bridges the uh, gap between you know what a novel is and what poetry is. It has elements of both, and um, one of the most impressive things about the the collection is that lyrical quality that mm. she has to her writing, mm. which it does have that sort of musical um, you know aspect aspect yeah, to it, which it makes that it you know read reading it so powerful. Yeah. It's got great rhythms. Mm. It really does. Yeah, I am. Um, a lot of good thrusts. <laughs> There's a lot of thrusts. <laughs> so many thrusts. <laughs> I just love, it is It is interesting because it's obviously, you know, uh, there is a, a strong feminist aspect to it, but mm-hmm. I do like the way that it kind of, it's not just straight up like women conquering everything. There, mm. It's so nuanced mm. and there's such a, uh, an element of like transformation. So, you know, oftentimes the female characters will, will start off victimized or weak or young or small and somehow they are transformed there's there's that uh, aspect of transformation be it like literally yeah. from a human to an animal in yeah. some of them or from kind of the victim to the the victor and i think it's so interesting because it it's not so black and white it's like these very kind of nuanced layers of feminism um that you can be kind of small and childlike and still find a way to be in control or to flip the narrative. And I just think that's that's wonderful. Like it just kind of unveils itself over the course of, of each of these stories. Mm. I completely agree. It's, no, it's I that nuance that. Which, which is, you know, completely so breathtaking about it from, you know, a feminist perspective and it's not clear cut. It's if you like the story, I think it's a company of wolves. Mm. You have the, the, the child who um is sort of infantilized um, by Carter and by the the wolf in the story, but she um, becomes empowered as a result of embracing that sort of passive nature. Um, so that sort of complexity in her characters is what I guess typifies the second movement of of feminism to you know have that complexity and go against the tide of men sort of writing women out of history and, and literature so I think it's you know very important book mm. in that in that sense well there haven't traditionally been a lot of women in history or literature so that's yeah okay <laughs> 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 <It's true. laughs> I think I really love um, 
like I said, kind of the way that she she flips certain narratives. So obviously, you know, these are not as as we've all said, these are and in her as well. These aren't retellings of fairy tales. They really no. they really transform the narrative. And specifically for me, like an example of that, which I know neither of you reread for this, but the Tiger's Bride. Yeah, um, <laughs> which, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, which is just beautiful because it's obviously kind of very much based on the Beauty and the Beast story. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, yes, she sees the beauty in this this gruesome creature, and instead of him transforming into a man. She transforms yeah. into a beautiful beast, and I just thought that was so so powerful and such an interesting way to to take that story and and turn it around. She seems to kind of do that quite a lot, where she'll take kind of the obvious narrative and then you know say, well, what if what if this happened instead? Mm-hmm. Like she'll kind of turn it into something quite unexpected. But that one I thought was just really really beautiful, um, and as well the um, the Earl King. The Earl King has some of my favorite passages in. It's it's very beautifully written. Mm. It's so beautiful. It's very it's very beautiful. It's like this this man is is nature. Like yeah. he's everything about him is. She I, explores identity really interesting, which I think is, I definitely think it's a, a bit of a casual disservice to say oh she's retold some fairy tales because she does so much more with them, mm-hmm. and it's not and often fairy tales tend to be either um, women or children who are in a crappy situation so that then the, the, the children and the women learn not to go into the crappy situation. It tends to be like it's quite sort of simplistic into what it's t- trying to achieve. There is a bad thing out there, ignore the bad thing, all the bad thing will happen. Mm. Um, whereas she really explores the identity of individuals and, and what self means and how self sits within these frameworks of um, fear, terror, life, love, mm-hmm. relationships, joy, sadness. She's not too preoccupied with didacticism, having a moral mm. story or a moral lesson with it within the stories themselves. It's much more exploration of the self, as yeah. you said, and um, you know, realising your identity and the liberation that comes yeah. comes from that. And I think the the metamorphic nature of that mm-hmm. really plays with this idea of you can start you can start any story, whether it's 40 pages long or, mm-hmm. or a page and a half long. You can start as one version of yourself, whether that's a perceived from society or, f- or for yourself. And by the time you get to the end, you can become an entirely different self. And they they all go on this journey of like discovering who they are based mm. on and in response to relationships and experiences that they have. And then it ends with she was happier here or mm-hmm. um, what was it? The end of... Um, thingy is a really good line at the end of werewolf now the child lived in her grandmother's house she prospered yeah so it's that coming almost like coming to age in a traditional Mm -hmm. sense but going through that journey and and finding out who you are and becoming who you are and going through that metamorphic process Mm -hmm. and finding out who you are which is where all of these ends and there's normally a trauma or an experience that has been frightening or fearful or crappy in there and then at the end you 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 prosper yeah and i think that's sort of what links all of the the stories and you know there's a lot of images and symbols which do link all of the stories together but kind of leading on from that point with um the bloody chamber itself obviously there's the whole allusion to um eve and a transgression being irreversible with the key that's covered in blood Mm -hmm. and sort of betrays her 
her sin and disobedience. Um, but then that um, mark of that spot of blood, which obviously you know, has so many connotations in literature, you know, becomes like a, I think uh, Angela Carter refers to it as like a Brahmin spot on yeah. um, the protagonist's he- head in the story at the end of the, the, the tale. Um, and that sort of complexity of an extended metaphor again that metamorphic quality that we that we talked about going from a mark of sin and transgression to becoming a mark of you know the priestly caste within hinduism and that sort of enlightenment and is it all seeing is it omniscience mm-hmm. that that comes from that that comes from um ex- experience so as a result she's liberated and enlightened as a result of this really crappy thing that she's yeah. rem- what is it through. the wisdom of the third eye or something yeah. which is the marks so and like yeah she has become and she starts off in the bloody chamber as this very naive sort of mm. little girl here and even when her mother says do you love him like she doesn't really know the answers to yeah. things she doesn't really know what she's doing or why she's doing it she knows that this old man was married she doesn't really know she's just walking into this a little bit blind but mm. I also think she's there is a part of her that is excited yeah. by him at least in the beginning and um, and that the bedroom is covered in mirrors and she's she's continually talking about seeing herself mm. and there's a point where she sees herself the way he sees her yeah. so she's starting to like discover the kind of power that she has mm-hmm. over him or over men. Um, and, it, and it is a bit of this kind of like coming of age yeah. moment before she <laughs> discovers well, his torture room. But even the fact that she goes into his torture room, like oh, there's a strength yeah. because if she- The forbidden were, fruit. Yeah, well also never tell anyone not to go in somewhere because yeah. we're all going to go in of there. Of course. But you know, if, if she were this sort of naive young girl that she sort of starts out in the first few paragraphs being presented to be mm. then if if a big strong bloke says don't go in here then you're going to be you're not you know in sort of your traditional storytelling if you're that timid thing who has no power and often in fairy tales the, the girl or the women don't have any power mm. and she goes in there she's like fuck it in I go so <laughs> immediately she's not not the character you'd expect it. And be. even then, she's still seduced by the idea of becoming part of this sort of macabre gallery yeah. of his yeah. dead wives. She's like, I want to be, I want to be part of this. Yeah, she recognises that she's Make like, me dead. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> and I think one of the quotes that sort of most sums that point up is a. Uh, uh, she says that her a potentiality for corruption that took my breath away. So she's acknowledging the capacity um, of you know femininity and and being female to be corrupted and sort of um, having the permission to, I guess, allow that uh, rather than being powerless and just having it affect you without, you know, your will. Your will. So mm. although she may be powerless to stop it, she's not powerless to allow it, if that sort of yeah. makes sense mm. in some yeah, sort yeah. of paradoxical like she's, she's way. She's a participant yeah, in she, it. Yeah, it's like consensual, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And as um, to quote the the annotator of my book, BMAC, <laughs> who, um, <laughs> so I, I I got my book secondhand and it is annotated to the hilt um, by by someone who's by a tagged hip hop artist. But well, if you're around BMAC, BMAC and you, you have hipped and topped. Do do let us know. Um, but BMAC makes the point that. <laughs> 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 you can't take it seriously. Are you gonna <laughs> spit his bars? <laughs> 
BMAC makes the point that in the 1970s when this was written, are you laughing at me? I'm trying to make it important. Um, in the 1970s when this was written, periods and sexuality were taboo. Mm. And um, uh, exactly as you're saying, so she in the Bloody Chamber and throughout these books, they make conscious decisions to be part of um, the sensuality to be part mm. of power play uh, as young women and they're all pretty young in the like yeah. they're not sort of your old miss havisham stylies just thought i'd bring them up because thank you them. i love um her. and she she the lady of the house of love has a lot of aspects of miss havisham's yeah. characterization yeah. Wedding dress yeah. oh my god yeah. that's my yeah. favorite one the sort of, yeah, yeah the, the decay can't. of the the setting it's the most beautiful thing i have ever oh, just read this book. <laughs> <laughs> um so, but yeah, she's she, but she is childlike, even though yeah. she's I'm sure centuries old. Mm-hmm. She's yeah, still yeah. like a waif-like child. The way he, she's described is so she's obviously evil. She's a vampire, yeah, yeah. but she's so delicate mm. um, and innocent and childlike and hopeful. Um, and I, I think direct, that sorry to interrupt, yeah, but yeah. that's that's sort of direct. We talked about the human relationships that um, Angela Carter portrays in in this book and The Lady of the House of Love, that sort of contrast between rationality and irrationality. Mm. You know, she's very uh, delicate and fantastical and this sort of waif-like being. And then this young soldier comes in, he's very rational and unimaginative. And that um, juxtaposition between the the characters is something that I think Carter handles really really well yeah. and it's really you know in, intriguing to to see that and it you know i said that i studied this book from a gothic perspective mostly and the sort of blurring of the boundaries and those um juxtapositions was one of the sort of key key mm. themes that we we looked at yeah mm. it's a very gothic book i mean you're you know your gothic heart going back to it it's all, all a flutter it is so <laughs> a flutter yeah. it does air on the macabre side yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, I wonder, did anyone, like, highlight any little passages? Uh, well, I mean, BMAC has highlighted <laughs> quite a lot. Because I just feel like, I mean, I, I don't know, they're all so beautiful, it's hard to choose. But just to give any listeners that haven't read this a, a taste of what we're talking about of, of this prose. Mm-hmm. I just think this passage is pretty, like, there's nothing really particularly exciting about it. Let's, um, let's read some passages. It's just it's just pretty. Um, so which one is this? This is from, from the Earl King. Mm. Piercingly now, there came again the call of the bird, as desolate as if it came from the throat of the last bird left alive. That call, with all the melancholy of the failing year in it, went directly to my heart. It's just super pretty. Oh, I know. It went directly to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) See, it's funny, you you chose quite a, like, pretty passage. I I went for beauty, you're going to go for... For horror. Horror, okay, cool. Well, it's good to have balance, I think. Yeah, so uh, the lady of the house of love. Uh, So as I said, I was the most in love with the vampire story, which is not surprising to me at all. (laughs) Um, But this uh, is a description of the main character in it, the countess. Mm. The white hands of the tenebrous bell deal the hand of destiny. Her fingernails are longer than those of the mandarins of ancient China, and each is paired to a fine point. These and teeth as fine and white as spikes of spun sugar are the visible signs of the destiny she wistfully attempts to evade via the arcana. Her claws and teeth have been sharpened on centuries of corpses. She is the last bud of the poison tree that sprang from the loins of Vlad the Impaler, 
who picnicked on corpses in the forests of Transylvania. <laughs> that was amazing. Was nice timing, Cooper. Timing, that Cooper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that. Yeah. I, mean, I know. It's just like the, oh, the exotica illusions as well. It's just like she knows her, her you stuff. You can totally <laughs> picture it as well. Yeah. And I, I think as well, one of the things that I love about her writing is that it it makes it... What is the word? It makes me think of Tenebris. so many... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> It brings to mind so many other novels mm. uh, that have played. Even like it's um, the intertextuality. She knows she's so you know incredibly well yeah, read. She knows exactly. Ev- ev- she, everything. She, she plays is omniscient, on... and she she knows you know she's not. I guess sometimes you can feel like some of her own originality is perhaps diluted by mm. the amount that she references other things. But the way that she weaves them all together. Yeah. Is I think her it, own form of ge- genius. It gives it more for me. Like, so, like the the Snow Child immediately makes me think of the White Witch. Mm. Um, I get that just every time. And even like there's a little bit, and she's talking about um, how snow falls on snow, and I'm like, well, that's Emily Dickinson. So mm. That's great. And it just it threads throughout, and actually it creates a richness because she knowing that she's taking sort of themes that have been written about and told throughout time, mm-hmm. she uses them to to give it that richness. It's like, you guys can picture this all in your head. You've been picturing these things since you were two days old when people have been singing you lullabies and telling you fairy Mm -hmm. stories. You know what this looks like. You know what this world is. Mm -hmm. And that allows her to, like, she has that as a foundation then she threads over the top of it these, like, lacy, gossamery stories, Mm -hmm. which just gives it so much more for me. I love that I can see all of these, this richness of, of... folklore yeah, in my mind different cultures like yeah. she talks a lot, a lot about Germanic folklore and I think it's the term Libs, Libestob or something mm. which is love death and is it Walpurgisnacht and solstices and all of the yeah. these like um, folkloric term, terms which again um, add this sort of erudite richness to it which you know as a, a lover of literature it sort of satisfies us no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it does it's, well, it's, it's like oh i know this and it makes you yeah and it's, 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 it's gratif- it does gratify yeah. you you kind of sort of feel clever um yeah. by you know realizing these things and then if you, if you don't know it then you look it up and you're like oh yeah you know and mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's, it's just something comfortable it's a bit like you were saying when we were doing nostradamus and because you can picture it so well because it's it's somewhere that you know mm-hmm. and grew up and it's just part of your being. It, she does a very similar thing but uses other literature mm. to reflect and you do kind of feel comfortable and like, I know where I am here. Even though mm. like you've got vampires being pillaged and whatever madness is happening around you, you feel kind of comfortable. That's in, what's so in, like, amazing about it is the way that she blends the um, sort of familiarity and familiar stories and um, you know, familiar symbols and imagery that we know, and then she applies it to very bizarre and unfamiliar landscapes and somehow makes it seem effortless. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one of the most impressive things about the the collection and her, her prose. Yeah. yeah. I feel like your vet's heart may have been troubled by this collection. There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of weird shit happening to animals. Yeah, there. a lot of weird shit happening <laughs> to it's animals. It's like the moment you're like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring them back to life in storytelling <laughs> because they have been decimated here. Yeah. I think it's just the animal imagery and we talked about metamorphosis mm-hmm. and the sort of Greek mythology of um I think she talked about like satyrs and mm-hmm. 
those sort of what's the, what's the term for like a weird mixture of animal and human what's oh, it called the oh the, 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 the we talked about this the yeah. other day oh god I know that that's really annoying because I can see them in my brain. Yeah, I know. Is it lycanthropy? Is like the study of men, and it's specifically men and wolves and yeah. the relationship between those two. But then it's. Like, but again, yeah. that that image is something which has existed throughout mm-hmm. literature, throughout folklore, you know, for Christ knows how long. And then it's, she updates it and makes it still yeah. fresh and and, in- yeah. and interesting. Which and and so completely that like you you can tell reading this that this was written during that that sort of second wave of feminism mm. you can you can tell what's happening you can tell that why she's using these sort of images of blood and the moon and mm. she's creating a dialogue through these the pentacle of her virginity and yeah. it's like these pagan uh, associations that she's you know and i don't know and with the female experience it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> the female experience is amazing yeah. how do you feel about the female experience uh, come see come see <laughs> It's all right. Well, you haven't you haven't met your werewolf yet. Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I mean, she talks a lot about how sort of men would rather indulge themselves yeah. with dead fantasies as opposed to a real woman. And you know, as a gay man, I I can confirm that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The men do not come off well in this no. book. No, um, no there's this like the, the blind the piano blind. Oh yeah, that's true. Lovely. The blind piano tune. But then he's quite androgynous. His he's... name's like Eve's something, and it's like links back to Eve. And, and he's, he's blind as well, so it's almost yeah. like the the sort of the male figures of like strong masculinity tend to come off really bad. Side, but yeah. if there's some something which removes you from that slightly, mm. then you probably have a better chance of being a decent human. So yeah. you almost have to be disabled in some way. Yeah, and then there's the Lady of the House of Love and the sort of virginal um, soldier who's yeah. after the... I don't want to ruin anything who haven't read it, but let's just say World War One is about to happen and <laughs> then some sort of doom isn't there that's encroaching up, upon him. And then, um, yeah, he's almost a victim to that isn't it and yeah. then he comes off well although, yeah, he, does, although he does sort of oh no I'm not going to ruin it people, yeah, people do sort of become wise as a result of some nature of victimhood I think mm-hmm. whether that's physically because you're blind or the soldier or mm-hmm. you know whatever these these women tend to experience like a nature of victimhood and surviving that nature creates a wisdom and a strength and a power which these just like strong mm. masculine figures don't have no, the men don't come off well. They don't come off that well. And then they haven't come off on any of our books so far, either. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I guess not. Yeah, we, we you have, have an you have an audience. That's <laughs> 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 there's like the company of wolves. A story. I think there's a werewolf in, in that, and the little red Riding Hood character. She um, burns the mm. man's clo- clothes yeah. at the end, therefore sort of subjecting him to an eternal fate as a as a werewolf but then the sort of inference there is that men are more dangerous in their sort of manly form yeah whereas if they're like you know a, a ravenous carnivorous nice <laughs> beast then they're less dangerous to the you know the female female kind yeah, yeah. and she just you know jumps in in bed with the with the wolf well i guess you know what you're getting with a wolf yeah <laughs> <laughs> what big genitals you have? Well, I think yeah, like, you know, 
Yes, if, you, daddy. if you've like dressed yourself up in a in a swanky suit, then you might you might look like something you're not. Whereas if you're just wandering around as a wolf, then you kind of know what you're going to get. A wolf in wolf's clothing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. The eight. The tale as old as time. Mm. Which is a song from Beauty, Beauty and the, and the Beast. Beast. Mm. <laughs> That's almost like a plan. The end. Which Leaps. I'm not smart enough to do. <laughs> <laughs> So um, there's a lot to say, in it. and and as always happens with any book that we pick, there is so they're so rich and there's so mm. much to say, and you could you could sit and talk about this is a feminist text as a gothic text, like yeah, and, and like it's psychoanalytical. And you all that studied stuff. it as a gothic yeah. text, and I studied it as a feminist text, mm. and that's and I just read it yeah, exactly, <laughs> and you could just talk about reading it and enjoying it. So there's, there is and a it's lot very enjoyable. Going on. You don't have to have yeah. read it for exactly. a certain was, critical yeah, lens. It's beautiful to read. It's, as, a, as it's just a great a book for all of those reasons as well. Yeah. As, as just a reader, as people studying it from different ways, there's a lot to say about this book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could talk about it for hours. It's it's a great work. Mm. Yeah. And it seems to have a sort of a new, I guess, resurrection of popularity recently. Mm. I don't know whether it was being studied in schools over here, but then there was a documentary last year about Angela Carter's sort of over. Is that how you pronounce it? Over. What's mm-hmm, the, yeah. What's the, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, We're doing really well with words today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Callum, to, to, to summarize, yeah. um, who would you recommend this book to and why would you recommend this book? Why should they read it? I mean, who would I recommend this book to? I think, in, in terms of, it's probably best to read it at an age where you yourself are going through some sort of change or transition, you know, coming of age and maturing into a young adult. Because I think that Angela Carter certainly has a preoccupation with those sort of thresholds and that liminality of going from youthfulness to adulthood and the understanding and experience Mm -hmm. that goes along with that. So I think that if you were to, uh, you know, I don't say, you know, read maybe read us if you're uh, a man and sort you know treating women a little better that would also <laughs> help but yes. in terms of a sort of um age i guess that boundary in your life when you're becoming an adult i think that's sort of most you'd i guess you'd resonate with that mm. a, a lot a lot more at that stage in your life that's when i read it yeah. i guess similar to yeah. you i guess it's you know, got that you, transformation yeah it sort of opens your mind a you little know, bit you, you, university things. and she um talks a lot about sort of psychological landscapes and the idea of the forest being an age-old setting of you know an uncharted landscape and i think that going into you know university and uh, different you know, strange, unfamiliar realms of your life that reading a book like this sort of, I guess, brings that brings that home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. There's a nice little quote that BMAC has written for me in the oh, back of my book. Oh, BMAC. Um, can we get BMAC from, as a guest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from Angela Carter, you're going to like it. It's an Angela Carter, Carter quote. Um, she says, I really do believe that a fiction can help transform reality itself. Ooh. Which I think sort of goes on from what you were saying about that transformative nature of where mm. you are and reading a good book or a good work at that point can transfer transform the reality that you're living or going to live or just how you perceive what it is mm. so and then yeah. she's you know she's a, an amazing fiction writer and she says a lot of clever things outside like yeah. fairy tales folk tales stories from the old tradition are all of them the most vital connection we have with the imagination of the ordinary man and woman whose labor created our world 
She's a really smart lady. She is. Yeah, well, and she was, you know, gone one too soon. Yeah. She yeah. would have done a lot more. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't realise she died yeah, so young. lung cancer, I think. Yeah. Uh, she, she likes to go Fucking away. cancer. Mm. Yeah. No, bless her. She could have done, you know, it was such a it shame. It would be interesting to see what she would write mm. now. Yeah. Yeah, it would be fascinating. I think that maybe is why, because you're right, even in bookshops I've seen this book more sort of at the forefront mm. of displays and stuff. And I think maybe people are realising that she was really good and yeah. maybe not enough credit was given to her work when she was alive and it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of having a bit of a having a bit of space now yeah. so Callum what uh, what quote what did you uh, did you pick to, l- to leave us off with here we go <laughs> she herself is a haunted house she does not possess herself her ancestors sometimes come and peer out of the windows mm, that's yeah that's great that's my girl yeah that's my girl <laughs> you yeah. that yeah you didn't want to talk about his member? No, <laughs> the Vero member yeah. like being thrust That's into the, the, the dead girl. <laughs> yeah. Such a great quote. Yeah, 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 that really sums, sums up the piece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that's a beautiful quote. That's yeah. something that struck me as well. Oh mm. my gosh, so good. Shivers. Shivers. Yeah. It's a great book. Thank yeah. you for getting me to read this book. I, I don't think I would have picked this up. And I, I haven't read it now for 10 years, but I, I don't think I would have picked it up. I don't know why. Um, but it's, it was great to oh be reading. Yeah, so it makes me want to go back to it again and yeah. again. I think it's one yeah. of those books that I'll always have a, a strong relationship with yeah. and I yeah. will go and revisit because there's just, as you said, it's so rich, so dense. Every time you read it, it's going to be a, a new thing that, that just blows your, yeah. your mind. Yeah. And as a plus, I think it's the first book that hasn't made us cry. Oh, yeah, I haven't cried. We haven't cried. <gasps> <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Does that mean it's a bad book? No. <laughs> we've, we've needed a non-cry book. We we've needed, needed just a book that we love and is brilliant, but we don't end up weeping. Yeah. Um, which all so of the you. others, there have been mm. a lot of tears. So thank you for not making thank us cry. <laughs> and okay. next we read The Virgin She Susan. taught me well. <laughs> she taught me well. I'm a feminist now. I'm not yeah. going to make yes. you cry. <laughs> <laughs> this is your reasons. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Well, Callum, thank you so much for sharing this You're so very welcome. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, And Cooper. Cooper. Thank you to Cooper Cooper for being such a good boy. Thank you for the sound effects. I really enjoyed the gothic casual bell toll in the background. (laughs) (laughs) The church was covered in the mist of night. Um, So... Thanks for listening. Um, as always, uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate and review. It's a great way for other people to uh, discover this podcast. Oh, yeah. If you want to apply to uh, bring your animal to uh, <laughs> your own words, um, we have a serious cat allergy in the house, so yeah. maybe keep it to dogs, parakeets, and Lizards. turtles. <laughs> Lizards. Lizards also are good. Yep. Um, then you can apply on the website at yalpod.com. There's a little form. Tell us your book. Make it a happy one because we're enjoying no tears. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that the bloody chamber. I would, would it's not happy. happy. No, it's it's super sadistic. But yeah. that's yeah. that. I'll take a little sadism. That brings us more joy than general trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It so will make far. your goth heart so very anyway. happy. Yes, um, if you have a goth yeah. heart like me, this is the book <laughs> for you. Um, yeah, and of course, follow us on the internet things: Twitter at YaoPod, Instagram at YaoPod, uh, and there's the Facebook group if you want to join that. We can we can chat books. And, of course, keep your eyes out um, for Callum's first published book. The Little Fisherman and the Golden Rule. Yes. Um, it should be coming out hopefully later this year. Um, and you can keep your eyes on RebootTheFuture.org and ThinkEqual.org for news on that. And we'll like put it on the socials. Yeah, and we'll share everything shameless on socials. Shameless plug. Thank you. It's not shameless at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Cool. See you next week. Next See you in two whenever. weeks. Virgin Suicides. Virgin Suicides is next. Amazing. Can't yeah. Wait.
It'll get you really jolly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. <laughs> Your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. It is recorded in London at the Pitch Room in Runway East, Soho. Theme music by Natasha Pasternak. Read along with us at yowpod.com. Hold up. 